in New York City together with his wife, uh, Pastor Georgie. They pastor that church and they are seeing phenomenal explosive growth there. So they uh, planted that church just under three years ago and they're seeing phenomenal growth. Um, before that, they were at Ox Oxford Falls overseeing uh, youth and young adults there and uh, they're just such a fruitful, fruitful family. Um, so why don't we give Pastor Josh a warm silver water welcome. Awesome. Wow. Fantastic. How are we doing? Awesome. Can we give it up for Jesus tonight? Let's give him some praise. Thank you, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. You're the best. You're the best. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, it's so, so awesome and uh, really honored to be with you here at Silverwater. Who loves Nat Natalie and Hartley, your amazing pastors? Can we give it up for them? Thank you for the honor of being here. What a great worship team. Give these guys a big hand for uh, serving with such passion. Uh, just an honor to be here with you tonight. I send greetings from my wife, Georgie. Uh, we have a uh, four-month-old baby. He's quite ill, so if you can pray for little Zeph. Uh, he's been up all night and this week with croup and other lovely things. But uh, they send their love, send their greetings. And we just had a great time at Presence. Who enjoyed Presence Conference? It's been a great week. If you didn't get a chance to be there because of work or commitments, I just implore you, maybe uh, just make that commitment. God really honors commitment. And uh, even just plan out in your schedule for next year. And uh, say, so, you know what, I'm going to make an appointment with God for next year. And uh, I know God blesses us when we kind of, even that far ahead, sometimes we think, oh man, a year, what am I going to do then? But isn't it cool that we can plan ahead and say, God, you're front and center in our year and in our calendar. That's what Georgie and I have done uh, and been uh, led well to do. And I know our family and our life has been blessed when we commit ahead of time for the things of God. So I want to implore you to do that. Who's ready for the Word of God? Anyone? Fantastic. Well, give someone a high five. Say you smell good. Don't lie, of course, but you know. It's great to be down under. As uh, Dorian said, uh, we are based now in Brooklyn. Asha, great to see you, man. So cool. And uh, yeah, we're based in an area in Brooklyn called Williamsburg. We have uh, two locations, uh, one in Williamsburg, one in Bushwick, and we have three services that are about to start shortly, and our, our team are gearing up for a great day, so that's pretty cool that you got, we're finishing our Sunday, and remember us and pray for us as we're gearing up for a Sunday. And I want to welcome uh, two amazing people here tonight, Mike and Paula Lark. Um, stand up, guys. Paula is our worship pastor from C3 Brooklyn. And Mike uh, oversees our finances and runs a bunch of our teams as well. So they do a great job. And they uh, flew out here off their own back to uh, be at Presence and uh, see family and have a great time. So, so honored to have you guys here. If you want to uh, learn about finances, speak to Paula. Just kidding. <laughs> no, Mike's doing such an amazing job. And Paula is killing it. And our worship team is growing so much because of her leadership uh, which is fantastic. Um, I would would love to start off in Isaiah 61, or Isaiah, depending where you're from. <laughs> I grew up 
in New York from 7 till 16. So if I sound a little bit like I'm rolling my R's, I'm not putting it on. It has re-entered my mind <laughs> since being there for three years. My old accent is coming back, and I didn't realize it until I came back to Australia, and people said, you sound American. <laughs> so uh, I apologize if that offends you. <laughs> but God is doing great things in, in uh, Brooklyn and New York, and I, I really do believe it's because we were sent out and a p big part of the reason was we were sent out from such a great church, uh, from this family of churches. And so I just want to uh, encourage you, what you're part of here has the power to produce much in the kingdom. And sometimes when we're in our local context and we're in our own setting, uh, we think, oh, well, you know, it's great that someone's sent out and good things are happening over there. And I know great things are happening here as well, so uh, don't... Uh, misinterpret what I'm saying, but I know that even when I was here, it's so easy to become familiar with what we have. And uh, as I speak this word, I pray that God would stir in your heart to again have a heart for Sydney and have a heart to bring uh, his praises and his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for what you did this morning with my fellow New Yorker, Chris Durso. Lord, I thank you. It's been a New York-themed day. And I just thank you for the word that he preached, Lord, that it would produce much fruit, much fruit in this house. And Jesus, tonight I pray for your word. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between spirit and soul. And so I pray that this word would get in between the places in our heart that only you can get to really divide between what is our emotion and what is your spirit so that you would lift our eyes to see who you are, and out of the abundance of your glory and your beauty, we would live a life that's dedicated to you, so that others would also see your beauty and see your glory. So Lord, I thank you for that, and I ask that in your wonderful name that saves us and makes us more like you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isaiah 61 says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, watch this, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Instead of a spirit of despair. Here we have uh, the famous prophetic words, 740 years before Christ even is born and enters into the scene where he humbled himself from the high and lofty place of his incredible uh, glory in heaven and said, I'm going to put on human flesh so that there would no longer be any question who the Father is and who God is, so that all of humanity would know how much God loves us. And so this is 740 years before the fulfillment of this prophetic word. We see in Luke chapter 4 that when Jesus stood up in the temple, he got to the exact point where he's going to read out which is this, this scripture, which is his vision and mission statement here on earth. And I love that. He declared it 740 years before 
continually showing us that God had a plan of grace and salvation for our life before we even sinned or even had a thought of falling away from God. God already had the plan to redeem us and set us free from whatever entraps us. And so before even Jesus shows up, this word is spoken to the people of God in a, in a time that was uh, quite difficult. The nation, when they would have heard this uh, prophetic word, would have been in exile in Babylon. And if you know anything about the exile times for uh, the nation of Israel, the, the people of God, you would know that it was not a comfortable time. It was not an easy time. Many family members lost and uh, murdered and kidnapped, belongings all taken, land, all uh, possessions taken from them. They literally lost their national identity, their sovereignty, the, their way of living. They were uh, privately trying to keep some of their personal customs alive. It's a picture of, of us as believers that we live in a, a time sometimes of, of exile within a, a foreign rule and foreign power called the, the enemy Satan, the prince of this air, where he tries to uh, steal our identity, steal who we are. And so they were physically and literally in this kind of setting. And so for them to hear this word would have brought great hope, but also a, a question uh, because the, the people were so deep into this exile that they would have even begun to doubt the existence of their God, which is a very unusual idea for their people because, the, you know, atheism or uh, being an agnostic was not even in their culture. It wasn't really a, an idea at that point. But the, the scholars believe at this time, and if you read into the background of it, that these people would have started to doubt if their God was even there for them anymore. And the reason that is, is because whoever the, the ruling empire or power at that time, whoever their God was or is, was the most powerful God there is because uh, they had the power to overthrow another government or another nation. And so they would have been in this setting, lost belongings, family members, homes, land, everything that was of any worth in this world sitting here hearing this prophetic word, and it would have spoken to them in such a powerful way. It says that Jesus was going to bring, or God, they didn't fully understand the, the fulfillment of it. For them, they saw it as God bringing good news to them because they were now poor. They were in a state where they didn't have. And so the first thing we see prophetically is that Jesus in our own life is going to bring enlightenment. This is what the good news does. It opens our eyes. It unblinds our eyes to see who he is. The second thing it does, he did, was to bring courage, to bring encouragement. He binds up the brokenhearted. So the, their hearts were broken because of the loss, because of the, the, the state of living and what had gone on. They had broken hearts, and Jesus promised that he would bring encouragement and bind up the broken heart. He would wrap their heart back together and bring healing to their heart. The third thing it says is that he would, Jesus would bring escape for all of us. Anything that entraps us, anything that we are enslaved to, anything that we are imprisoned to, that Jesus was going to bring a way of escape. And it says here that he would set the captives free. But it's the fourth thing here tonight that I want to drill down on and hopefully encourage you in. And the fourth thing he did after enlightenment, encouragement, escape, is exchange. Everyone say exchange. 
Here we have three great exchanges at the end of these three verses and the mission and vision statement of Jesus. We see prophetically here that God promises through Jesus to give us three exchanges that we're going to change our life. The first one here, we're just going to skip through the first two and then get down to the third one because that's the one I want to focus on, is a crown of beauty for ashes. Now, literally, when they would lose a family member or be grieving something, they would find the ashes, and, and a lot of scholars believe, and, and I, from my study, I, I think it could be true, is that they got the ashes from the temple sacrifices. So the very sacrifices that would atone for sins or different Thanksgiving uh, offerings and when they would burn animals, they would take the very things that would be worshiping God with and then be grieving with them and put ashes on their head. And Jesus said, uh, God said through Isaiah, I'm going to change this pattern. I'm going to now exchange, not only going to not have to sacrifice for your sins, but I'm actually going to bestow on you, instead of ashes, a crown of beauty. So he's going to restore dignity and honor to our thinking, dignity and honor, and change our perception on life, where we see life as as one of loss and heartache, but now we stand with a a sense of royalty because we know our worth before the king. No matter what you lose physically, no matter what you've lost so far in your life, and you could have many regrets here tonight, depending on what you've gone through, God says, I'm going to turn those regrets, those moments of grieving and loss and ashes, and I'm going to reverse that and bring out of the ashes, I'm going to exchange that, take them from you, and give you a crown of beauty. It's a great exchange. And so what I love, though, is that God does not condemn the people for grieving. In fact, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't bring a harsh word and say, stop doing that. He says, hey, let me, let me take that. There's a sense of grace and mercy in these exchanges. There's no condemnation right now for you if you feel like you're grieving something. Maybe a, a loved love one, uh, maybe a divorce, maybe a, a relationship breakdown, maybe a business failing, uh, maybe something happening in your family life. And there's a sense of grieving I believe grieving is so important because what it shows is that you've lost something you value. But in society today, we're told to move on and just get on with it. But God does not condemn us in his grieving. What he says is, hey, I want you to grieve. I want, I want you to get into the ashes. But let me, let me tell you tonight that you don't need to stay there. I'm going to exchange those ashes for a crown of beauty. But you've got to get in the ashes to appreciate the crown of beauty. If you just live in constant numbness and don't actually express your loss, then you won't actually have any, anything to exchange. If they never got in the ashes, they would, they would just be right there in the middle. And so many Christians live in the middle just trying to pretend to be okay, and God has nothing to give you except more pretend. There's nothing to exchange unless you acknowledge what you've lost. So if you have ashes, if you have grieving in your life tonight, I believe God can do a great exchange if you acknowledge it before him. The second thing is mourning. They, they were weeping. And they would have done this mourning privately because they didn't want to show uh, even more victory to their enemies. So they would have done this in isolation. It, it represents the, the, the mourning, the tears that no one has seen in your life. The moments when you've been... Uh, feeling heartache 
and, and lost when no one else is around. But what they would do after the moment of mourning, it was they, they would actually use a, a particular oil and they would put it on their face so that it would lift their countenance. So when they, who loves a good cry? Anyone love a good cry? You know, like, you know, a lot of snot and just like, just uncontrollable, like whole body shakes. I, I've heard about it. I've never done it before. <laughs> and in that place of, of mourning, they would then, after they've done their mourning, they would then put oil on their face because who knows, you know, you can tell someone's had a good cry. And, but they would put this oil on it would lift their countenance. And Jesus here is telling us that for you, if you've been mourning something in your life, he wants to do an exchange tonight. For those that feel that loss, he wants to place his oil of what? Joy. And so where you felt sadness, he can actually exchange it for great joy. And it, it shows that the, the, the mourning is not based on anything necessarily changing here. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to do, do this in terms of, uh, you know, I'm going to give back all your houses yet. It was more what Jesus is himself not just what he could do. Now, he was going to bring blessing and get them out of exile, but it was more about who he was that was going to bring that joy. But here tonight, those you can study in your own time for your connect group this week, and you can go deeper into the word, amen. I want to focus on the last exchange, which is a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Interesting exchange going on here. The message version says it this way, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. The NLT says festive praise instead of despair. And in the NIV, it says a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And the ESV says the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So we have here a spirit of heaviness, a languid spirit, uh, despair, and a faint spirit. Different uh, versions uh, interpreting this spirit of heaviness in different ways, but I think we can all tonight relate to this spirit of heaviness. What I find fascinating is that this is 740 years before Jesus shows up, which is two, you know, over 2,000 years for us here tonight, uh, from, ne from now back to the cross or back to his birth. And yet, there is still this thing called the spirit of heaviness. We've now labeled it maybe uh, depression, anxiety, uh, different things. But what, what I find fascinating is that this is not a new thing in the human race. That there has been a heaviness since the first day we fell out uh, into sin and out of relationship with God. And even in that place, we see that this theme of clothing ourselves with something has been in the Bible. Notice the exchange here, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. In Genesis, we see that when uh, they ate of the fruit, they were immediately aware of their nakedness and they tried to hide themselves. So they tried to clothe themselves with leaves. Then, then God shows up and comes looking for them, which I love that part because even though they sinned, God did not separate himself from them. He actually came looking for them and said, where are you? And so that shows grace was right there in the beginning, even from the first moment of, of seemingly separation, right? But then 
God sacrifices his first creation, his animals, to do what? To cover them. He said, the leaves won't do, I'm going to cover you with this. So then we see the first fashion designer was God himself. He said, a fig leaf won't do, I want a leather coat. And he gave them something that would cover them in a way that would uh, dignify them. And so we see this theme throughout the Old Testament. If you do a study on what you clothe yourself with, you'll see it through the Old Testament. It's quite powerful. The way God dresses his priests, the way he dresses his kings, the way the kings dress their daughters, the way uh, uh, men of God or prophets dress. There are certain reasons they would dress in a certain way. And so it's very important to God. And then we see in the New Testament through the Paul, Paul the Apostle that he calls us to clothe ourselves in humility and love. And what we put on actually is really important. Now, when I uh, was in uh, New York in 2008, I moved there in uh, 2013 with our family. But before that, we ran a conference called Awakening. And in 2008, I think uh, looking back on it, God wanted me to be here for this moment. But I was in New York the day before the financial crisis uh, landed in 2008. Anyone remember that, that, that horrible day for, for many? And it was interesting. So 12 hours before it happened, I landed in New York. And I know that God meant for me to be there to witness this. Because the day I arrived, New York is at its fast pace, its normal pace. Everyone's going about their business. The hustle is on. The New York hustle is happening. And that next morning, I woke up and something had shifted. The, literally, the atmosphere of the, of the city became heavy. Now, New York can be a heavy place anyway, but, but it was pretty normal, and everyone was going about their business and feeling confident about life. The next day, it was like day and night because of the financial crisis. I saw people sitting in fully suited up, sitting in gutters with their head down, weeping. I saw people uh, on the train just staring blankly, uh, out into space that usually would have been a bit more aware. I saw people carrying boxes uh, through the city because they'd lost their jobs. I mean, the whole, the whole nature of the city became heavy. There was a spirit of heaviness. See, what you worship is what you'll ultimately clothe yourself in. They were clothed in what? Success and greed and money. And how often when that leaves what was propping us up or making us feel of any worth, the, in, in replacement of that comes a spirit of heaviness. And so money was their idol, so they were clothed in, in the identity of the idol, of that God, of mammon. So that spirit then departed, that, that, that exchange happened, and guess what was in place of it? It was a spirit of heaviness. And so it was for the nation of God in this time, they'd lost everything. There was much loss, so it's, it's obvious that they're going to feel heavy because they feel like God is not with them. God is not for them. And the prophet Isaiah reveals this amazing exchange, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now, when you do a, a look at this word garment, you see it pop up uh, as in the same way uh, in a few different places, and I'll just highlight two tonight. In 2 Samuel 13, if you want to write that down, you can read the uh, pretty horrific story, in fact, of Tamar, who is King David's daughter. And uh, Tamar's brother, 
uh, is filled with lust towards her and tricks her and sexually assaults her and it's a horrible situation. But what is interesting, we can see here in verse 17, in 2 Samuel 13, it says, He called his personal servant and said, Get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. This is after the uh, sexual assault occurred. She was raped uh, by her brother, and then he put her out of his presence, and this is what happened. She was wearing an ornate robe. That is the same uh, original uh, here for that garment, uh, that word praise garment. And it says, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. So all the daughters of the kingdom obviously would wear different clothing, but the king's daughters would wear a specific garment. And it was a garment that revealed purity and innocence, that all the kingdom would know that these are the king's daughters. It was like no other garment in the whole kingdom. You couldn't get it anywhere. It didn't matter who you knew, you had to be a daughter of the king. And so for her to lose that was for, to, for the whole kingdom to know that Tamar has lost her innocence and her purity. The whole kingdom would have known that her value in front of uh, her, her father and her, her family would have been lost. And so then in verse 19, it says, uh, Tamar put ashes on her head, tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Tamar needed the very exchange that Jesus promised in Isaiah 61 at every degree. She needed a crown of beauty restored. She needed an oil of joy for her mourning, and she needed a new garment. And Tamar represents a whole generation of women that have been assaulted, a whole generation of women who have lost their value because of media and the way men have treated them. But Tamar represents all of us in that we have innocence and purity that has been stolen from us before our king. And so that garment has been lost. The other place it shows up is with Joseph. Who loves Joseph? Favorite Sunday school story. But Joseph's technicolor coat, a, a very colorful coat. Now, th this is a great, a great story. But I want to focus on, on why Joseph had that coat. So Joseph is the son of Jacob, right? Everyone with me? Yes? Okay, good. Bible study. Yep. Everyone's like, yes, Abraham, Isaac. Yeah. So he's the son of Jacob. Now, why out of all the brothers did Joseph get it? Was he just like highly favored and that's the end of the question? There's got to be a reason. When you do a study, you realize that, that uh, Leah had the other sons and Joseph was the first son of Rachel. And Jacob was tricked into marrying Leah, and she was fruitful, but Rachel wasn't fruitful for some time. So for those two reasons, because Rachel was the first love, but also she couldn't have a baby for some time, for Jacob, for, for Jacob to see Joseph and for Rachel to have that first son, that for him was like his firstborn, because he'd been waiting all that time for his first love to have the firstborn. So it was obvious that Joseph was going to get this coat out of all the sons. But the reason the sons, his brothers and the other sons hated Joseph so much was that he wasn't the firstborn. He, he technically wasn't. And so therefore, they hated him for it because no one else got that coat. 
Now, this coat, if you look at what it represented, it represented the, the Father's favor. It represented uh, celebration. It represented uh, boasting and, and a, a, se- a sense of pride about this son. And no one else got that coat. And we know the, the story as it goes on. But what I'm trying to highlight here tonight is that same word is represented there in Isaiah 61, this great exchange. Now, if you step down to Psalm 30, verse 11, it says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. When we were trying to teach new Christians and a new culture in New York, like we started with with nothing, just Georgie and I and our five-month-old baby, and as the church began to grow, we were trying to teach people to praise God. Now, in this culture and in Oxford Falls, where I'm from, I never thought about it. But yet, I find myself as a pastor, and I'm thinking, how do I get people to sing? Because people were just staring at us, and Georgie was our first worship leader, and I'm thinking, uh, we're telling people to sing, we've got the words up there, and, and everything else is going on, but I'm thinking, I realize that the exchange hasn't gone on. You could tell people until you're blue in the face that God is worthy of praise. Like, I, I could preach until I'm blue in the face tonight and say, God is this, and He is glorious, and He, but unless an exchange takes place tonight, you'll be doing it because the leader and the pastor tells you, or you'll be doing it from some place where you've discovered who you are. Now, notice that Tamar didn't give David a robe. And notice that Joseph didn't give Jacob the robe. It was the father that gave the child the robe. So Joseph gets a garment of praise from his father. See, we will never truly praise God from a place of identity in him until we receive and understand how much we are loved and valued by God. See, we're trying to praise God in a spirit of heaviness. We're trying, yeah, come on. This guy clap. You guys are the best. We're trying to praise God out of a spirit of heaviness. And I've experienced it in my life. I realized that there was, uh, I'm, I'm enlightened. I've got the gospel, I believe. I've been set free from some stuff. I've, I've, I feel encouraged. Yet these three exchanges may not have happened in certain places in my life. And until I realize how much I am valued from God and actually receive that, out of the overflow of the garment of praise, I actually begin to praise. I'm trying to praise God out of a spirit of heaviness. We come into Sunday night or Sunday morning or, or, or even in your own car and you're thinking, I, I know you're worthy of praise. I, I know I should be singing at the top of my lungs. And sometimes we place it on the band. Well, I don't like the songs or I, I don't like that particular way they're doing that. And we place blame on other places, but really it's a spirit of heaviness inside of us. And our churches need to be filled with praise so that God is seen in his glory. But if a church is filled with a spirit of heaviness and doesn't have the garment of praise, then the world out there is not going to see the value of the Father on us, and therefore they won't see the glory of God. Tamar lost that coat, and everyone could see that. Everyone could see the spirit of heaviness. The, the, the nation of, of Babylon could see the spirit of heaviness on the Israelites. So God promised... I will come and restore this garment of praise. 
Now this, this spirit of heaviness represented in a sackcloth was a real deal. It was made out of black goat's hair. And so when they would come out into public, when they had this spirit of heaviness on them, Everyone could tell. I mean, it was, it was heavy, it was hot, it was a dark color. There, there was a sense of heaviness about what they were wearing. And here, the promise and the exchange is exactly the opposite. A garment of praise, this garment that Tamar wore and that Joseph wore was a light fabric. It was, it was, it was like very light, breathable, uh, and it was colorful, and it was full of life and full of celebration. And this word praise means to boast about, to celebrate. See, if I'm trying to praise out of a place of heaviness, when I'm, when I'm faced with my own anxiety and stress, and I haven't first done the exchange, which speaks of the grace of God, the love, the, the, who I am in Christ. If I haven't done that exchange, I end up faking it or I end up staying silent. And God does not want that for you. He wants to take that sackcloth, that heaviness off your life, and give you a garment of praise in exchange. But I love that it's not, it's not reverse. It's not like I've got to praise and then he gives me a garment of praise. And so many Christians are living in that place where you're trying to actually praise, and, and hear me right, because it's going to test some theology tonight. You're trying to praise your way out of something when actually you're meant to receive your way out of something. We don't have a giving problem, we have a receiving problem. See, if you've received something from God, you can give out of it. But if you're finding it hard to give an all-powerful, all-loving, omniscient, omnipresent, uh, all-knowing, powerful God who's created the stars, the heavens, the earth, you and I, if I'm struggling personally, Josh Kelsey, struggling to praise him, there's something wrong with me, not with him. But in his grace... He doesn't condemn me. He says, Josh, I want to do an exchange tonight. I want to take that heaviness off your life. I know the market's crashed. I know the relationship's broken down. I know you're in exile. I know you're oppressed in this world, but you can still wear a garment of praise even though the world's trying to take your value. He's going to do a great exchange tonight, amen? He's going to do something significant. Now, this word praise in the Hebrew is the word halah. It's where we get our word hallelujah. And it, it, it's a, a powerful word of, of value and worth and honor. And as we look at this word halah, we see that there are different der derivatives of it. Now in Psalm 100 and verse 4, we, the famous verse that we all quote, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. That word thanksgiving in the Hebrew is taudah. And that word taudah actually means confession. It doesn't mean we come in and say, thank you, Jesus, for the house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all the blessing. It's actually far deeper than that. There's an exchange going on. Now, we can thank God for all these things, but what enters into the gates or allows access into the gates, the kind of thanksgiving that God is looking for is actually confession. Because what confession says is that I acknowledge your grace. I acknowledge that you've done it all on the cross. You've done it all in your grace. The great exchange that needs to take place is, God, here is where I'm at, literally. Like, this is what I'm facing. This is the heaviness that's going on in my world. And I want to do a great exchange in Jesus' name. And you enter in. Now, it says, enter his courts with praise. 
And that word praise is a different word from halal. That, that word praise is actually an inner character of honor and lifting up. But tilaha is actually singing praises. So it says confession. So we do a great exchange, our spirit of heaviness. We say, Lord, thank you so much. I confess my sin. I confess my heaviness. I confess what I'm faced with. And as I do that exchange, I enter into his courts with praise. It's out of the overflow of knowing your worth inside of God in his presence that you begin to sing. So halah comes, he puts it on us. He says, this is how much you're worth through the cross. This is how much you're worth through the resurrection. I died for you. And, he, and see, what, what is the garment of praise, you might say? The garment of praise in the New Testament is salvation. He weaved a garment of, of praise for you and I. It's called saved by grace. It means you no longer need to wear your tattered clothes of your own righteousness, your own sin, your own mistakes. All of that can be taken off. That spirit of heaviness can be taken off and you can now wear a garment of praise, which is salvation. I am saved by grace. This is who I am. I could have, uh, this could have happened to me and I've been, I've been hurt by these situations like Tamar was hurt. You could have been hurt by your brothers and, uh, and the coat was stolen. But God restores all of it through his grace, through the cross and his resurrection and gives us a new garment of praise by salvation. And it's when we put that on, halah, the praise of God, he shows our value in him out of the over, overflow, literally in the Hebrew, it's a different word for praise. It's tilaha. It means to sing his praises. If I have silence on my tongue, I guarantee you, I guarantee you there could be an exchange that hasn't taken place in my life. If I am struggling to praise God, I haven't seen what he's done for me fully. Or I did know it and something in life has stolen that garment of praise. And in place has been a spirit of heaviness. When you break a bone and the doctor gives you some medication, I don't think anyone would ever say, hey, I've got these, these painkillers and it's going to heal up the bone. No, you know that that's just for the pain to get you through until it is healed. So it is with depression. We have in New York a medicated generation who have a spirit of heaviness just like the Israelites did, just like Adam and Eve did. And every human being that's ever f come from that, that place of sin, it brings heaviness. Now, I am not belittling uh, the doctors, and I believe in uh, making sure that we are uh, following wise counsel there and making sure that we take our uh, medication. But, but let's just for a second get above political correctness, can we? And just say that, let's, let's all agree to say that that's not going to fix a broken soul. That the issue below the issue is the real issue. That we have the same issue that the Israelites are, are rolling around in ashes, putting ashes on their head, weeping in private, and feeling heavy because of what they've lost. I think maybe we have the same issue that they have. But we are now surrounded by media and surrounded by all different things that are going on. And I'm here to tell you that God can do a great exchange in your life here tonight. He can lift up your countenance. He can put a crown of beauty on your life again and clothe you in a garment of praise. Maybe, just maybe, this Sunday night service could be known as the praise service. 
not because someone up here is telling you to praise God, but you've done a great exchange this week. And guess what? I find that it's a daily exchange. I find that every day I get to choose what I wear in the Father's eyes. If I see my value in Him and see how much He praises who I am through the cross, I mean, He did that for His glory, and He did that to set me free. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to come... Uh, I'm going to come and set myself free. He said, I'm going to come and do a great exchange with you. If it cost him his divine blood and cost him from coming from heaven to earth, I think it's worth saying, Lord, give me this exchange tonight. I want to see my value again in you. And the tilaha, the, the overflowing of singing is so important. It's so important. Singing out loud is telling the world, I know my value in the Father. I know my value. I, I now wear a bright colored garment of praise, no longer a spirit of heaviness. But if we have a Christian generation, if we have a church that knows the gospel, he came to preach the good news, that knows that their broken heart is, is uh, bound up and healed up, yet we haven't done that exchange of a garment of praise for heaviness, we're going to miss out on the fullness that God has for us. If I can get the worship team to come help me. And it says, practically, enter into his gates with Tauda. Everyone say Tauda, teaching you some Hebrew. Come on, Tauda. Powerful. You guys are fluent like me. Confession. What have you been living with in your world? What have you not given to God? You've been carrying it. What can you confess and show humility so that as you enter into his presence, he places a new garment of praise? Maybe you put on a garment of praise in 1982. Maybe you put a garment of praise on last Sunday, but this week was tough. Maybe, you're, maybe something's going on in your, your finances or in your relationships, or just in your own Christian walk. You're just not as alive as you used to be. And you can, you can, we can all justify it. We can all put it down to certain things. But I believe today, if an exchange takes place, other people's lives are going to be set free. It says in Colossians 3, 12 to 14, So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else put on, what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. I believe tonight as we do an exchange and say, God, I want to receive this garment of praise, which in the, in the Hebrew literally represents salvation. There are many people here tonight, and you're saved. And in a minute, I want you to pray with me that other people would do that exchange. There are others here tonight, and you once wore that garment of praise. But there is, if you can be honest with God tonight, He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to do a great exchange and take off the sackcloth, the heaviness, that spirit of heaviness that's on your world for whatever reason. Tonight, you need to do that exchange. And there are others here tonight, you've never worn this garment of praise. All you know is heaviness, but, but because you don't know anything else, you've become so accustomed to wearing that heaviness. 
But I'm telling you, as you exchange, you're not going to know yourself. And this is exactly what happened to the Israelites. They were so accustomed. They've been, they've been in exile for, for years and years and years and years. And that's all they knew. They forgot what it felt like to wear fine linen, to, to wear fine robes, light, breathable, free, bright, happy, joyful, this garment of praise and all that it represents, this, their, their own value in the eyes of the Father. I believe tonight we can do that exchange. Why don't we bow our heads? Close our eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Tonight, if that's you, if you need to do that exchange, let's just get honest tonight and say, you know what? I can identify it. I, I'm, I'm kind of forcing my praise, and yet God is so worthy. I'm, I'm in this place of, of challenge, and my, my faith is obviously in something else because I'm clothed in heaviness. Wherever you're at tonight, where, whatever's going on, don't stay in that spirit of heaviness tonight. I know a great exchange can happen, and it happens with humility as we say, God, I confess, I want to enter in with thanksgiving. The way we thank God is we confess because we know he's going to take that heaviness. The way we see our value is, is in his eyes and what he's done for us on the cross and the resurrection. His love is abounding towards you tonight. So if that's you tonight, you once wore a garment of praise, but you've gone silent. Life has silenced you. Or you know you've never received salvation. You've never received that amazing freedom in him. If that's you tonight, would you just lift your hand and say, Josh, that's me. I want to be released from any heaviness tonight, and I want to do a great exchange in your presence. In Jesus' name. Awesome, buddy. Who else is there tonight? Say, yeah, I, I don't want to live with this heaviness anymore. Fantastic. I see your hand. Who else is there tonight? Say, Josh, pray for me. I don't want to enter into Monday with heaviness. I want to enter in with the garment of praise. Awesome. Awesome. People coming back to the Lord, people putting on this garment for the first time or again. Maybe you've, maybe you've been in church, but you didn't even realize there was an exchange that needed to take place. You thought it was just a religious activity, but tonight there's freedom. Tonight there is an exchange. Who else is there tonight? You can identify that heaviness in your world. You're struggling to praise God and see his glory. Let him take that heaviness off you tonight and do that exchange. Anyone else? Anyone else, join these people. Say, you know what, I'm going to humble myself. I do not want to live without this garment of praise. I want to do that exchange in just a minute. We'll pray together. Awesome, you can look this way. I want to pray for those those people who lifted your hand. Um, so why don't you come out of your seat, gentlemen, awesome, awesome lady, another lady over here. And uh, let's stand up and let's welcome them as they, they come down the front. Fantastic.